In the winter of 2003, 16-year-old Sean Cerniglia and his girlfriend Carrie Hyden were bound and gagged, stuffed into a car, taken to a remote cornfield in Douglas County, Colorado, and were shot execution style. Why did this senseless crime take place? When you hear the details, you'll wish you never asked. Welcome to the next episode of Don't Even Ask. Sean and Carrie had been dating for some time. On the night of February 5th, Carrie came over to Sean's house for dinner. I guess they didn't like what his stepmom had made, so they said that they were going out to get fast food instead. His stepmom went to bed and woke up the next morning to see that Sean was not at home and his car was not in the driveway. Concerned, she called Carrie's mother, hoping that they were at their house, but Carrie's mom thought that Carrie was spending the night with Sean's family. Obviously, this was alarming. The parents could not get a hold of their children. As one would expect, the two families contacted the county sheriff, but he assured them that it was just a runaway situation. Though the parents did not think that was the case, there was little they could do. At 11.30 p.m. on February 6th, the fire department ringed Sean's family to let them know that they found Sean's car burnt up from the inside sitting off of the county road. Thankfully, there were no bodies at the scene, so the parents held on to hope. Supposedly, Sean's car was still drivable, so the fire department released his car back to his father. From what I've gathered, this sounds very unusual, as it seems that they didn't take the time to hold the vehicle, as they were supposed to comb through any evidence. Two weeks had passed, and nothing happened. The file eventually got to Detective Murphy. He was in immediate disagreement with the other officers' theory that the two just ran off. The detective noted that fires are usually started to destroy evidence, so it really struck out to him that there was most likely foul play involved. Aerial searches were conducted, but the fields were deep in snow. Nothing was to be found. It was like searching for a needle in a haystack. When they spoke to Carrie's mother again, she told them she instinctually felt that something was odd about Sean. He would have his radio blaring when he came to the house, and instead of coming in or knocking on the door, he would just honk to pick her daughter up. She noted that the times he did come into the house, he wouldn't speak, which she said seemed very evasive to her. Detective Murphy took this new information and now focused more heavily on Sean. After about three weeks, the fire department had just processed the evidence from Sean's car. They found a cigarette butt on the floor. They also found the business card of one of the detectives that worked for Murphy. He immediately went to see her to try to figure out why Sean had her card. She said that she was trying to contact him about a shooting at a house in an upscale part of town prior to their disappearance. Two shots were fired through a window, though luckily no one was hurt. She didn't think that Sean was the one who fired the shots, but she was pretty sure that he knew who did, though he refused to give her any information. Sean's mom eventually had to leave her job because she just couldn't work in that state of mind. She spent all of her time looking for the kids. Out of desperation, Sean's mom went to see a psychic. Her husband thought that it was a bad idea. He was very skeptical, but he did listen to what his wife told him. She said that the psychic mentioned a white abandoned house. Eventually, the volunteers started searching with a cadaver dog. As they were about to give up, the dog seemed to have found something. 
The dog ran to an abandoned white house and was barking at the basement window. This is the house that the psychic was talking about, thought Sean's mom. She couldn't bring herself to look, but she was thinking about what the psychic said. Her husband went down into the basement, fearing the worst, but it turns out that the dog was just barking at a dead squirrel. After a month with a bunch of dead ends, police officers got a call from a jailhouse informant who gave the name Nat York. Nat was suspected to be part of the shooting. Murphy, along with the female detective, the one who had the business card in Sean's car, went to his house, but he refused to open the door. He shouted through the window that his attorney would contact them in 24 to 48 hours. Now, this is not his first run-in with the law, so this kind of seemed suspicious. Time kept ticking. It wasn't until May 6th that Detective Murphy gets a call from a farmer who claimed to have found two bodies in his field. The snow had finally melted. The farmer initially thought that they were mannequins, but when he got closer, he realized it was much worse. It was Sean and Carrie, both with gunshot wounds to the head. The detectives went back to question Nat and his friend group. Murphy said, and I quote, All just seemed to be wannabe gangsters, which felt odd as they're coming from suburban, regular upbringings, end quote. When it was time to speak to Nat's girlfriend, Catherine, she was very nervous. Still tough to crack, Murphy decided to move his chair closer to her, as invading personal space is a useful interrogation tactic. Eventually, she broke down crying and told the detectives everything. It was Nat and Caleb. Caleb did not live in their town, but everyone who knew him feared him. He and Nat had met in juvie. Catherine admitted that they both did the shooting, and while Sean had nothing to do with it, he was in the car. Nat and Caleb heard a rumor that Sean was going to talk with the police. So Caleb invited Sean over to Nat's. It looks like Sean telling his mom that they were just going to get fast food was a cover story. Unfortunately for Carrie, she had just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Carrie didn't even know anything. Once they arrived at Nat's place, the two boys beat Sean and bound the two in duct tape, putting pillowcases over their heads. Nat and Caleb gave Catherine the keys to Sean's car and instructed her to follow them. They drove 30 miles to the field in the middle of nowhere and shot them execution style. Caleb then lit a cigarette and poured gas in the car. The three left and went to gas station to get a soda, as if nothing happened. What I find so troubling is the length that Nat and Caleb went to not to be caught for a shooting when Sean never said a word. Even more so disturbing when detectives asked them, why Carrie? They called her, and I quote, a casualty of war. Catherine served 10 years and got out of jail in 2014. Caleb and Nat both pled guilty, receiving two life sentences without the possibility of parole. During the seventh year of Nat's sentence, he committed suicide. Nothing good came out of this. Far too many people were hurt and everyone left alive has to live with the bleeding pain that will never go away. It's tragic that this story, as upsetting as it is, is not unheard of. The whole case was really about the question of why. Though I personally would never call murder justified, this case was just plain senseless. If they hadn't touched Sean and Carrie, it's possible that they still would have gone away with the shooting and could have moved on. The kids were young and they could have gotten a chance to move out of their town, but we'll never know because far too many people lost that chance. I dedicate this story to Sean and Carrie's families. If you are interested in learning more about this case, I highly recommend watching Investigations Discovery take on this murder in an episode of Dead of Winter.
Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and have an awesome rest of your day. Bye.